Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'd ask that you would find 2 Samuel chapter 19. 2 Samuel chapter 19. And I have no title for the sermon today. And, um, and there's a reason for that. Because there is somewhere in the neighborhood of about 12 that I could not uh, decide upon. Uh, and so I just want to kind of give you an overview, and I want, hopefully, when you leave today, that you can fill out the title that you feel has most spoken to you. Uh, if you remember King David, uh, his armies have been victorious, and so we could look at what it looks like to be humble in victory. And You probably know some people that they are miserable to be around when they're right. Or if something good has happened to them, you just know that they are going to come in with a head so big that they can't even fit through a set of double doors. And so we could have titled it what it looks like to live humbly in victory. We also looked at while King David's armies won the battle, that he lost a son. So we could look at how to be humble and focused on God in the difficulties of life. We're going to see that even though David's army had won the battle, They hadn't welcomed him back as king. And there was infighting amongst the different tribes. And we could look at how even though uh, everything looks good from the outside when things at home are falling apart and when family is tore apart, how to stay humble and stay focused on God. And the list could go on and on and on. We could look at how um, living a life full of vengeance will cost you as Joab gets replaced as the commander of King David's army for a short period of time. We could look at how King David's own tribe, the tribe of Judah, who were supposed to be closest to him, who were supposed to be the most loyal to him, were the last ones to consider, hey, why don't we bring him back as our king? We could look at how the fact that the people who were still in Jerusalem, the elders and the leaders of the nation, really were not sure if they should bring David back because what if he tries to get retribution for us siding with his son. We could title about what it looks like to really try to reconcile with people we've wronged. And so as we go through this text today, I have no idea where you're at, but I do know that God's Word is true. And that this morning, if you and I will allow the Holy Spirit to speak into our life through the reading and teaching and preaching of God's Word, you will get everything that you need. And so my prayer is this morning for you to be able to fill that in when we leave. But I want to show you the one common thing through all of these is a simple teaching that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 23. Whether you think you are great or small, whether you think you are blessed or you are struggling, whether you feel that you're on a mountaintop or in a valley, whether you feel like everything has never been better or things could not get any worse, there is one attitude that God blesses. There is one way of thinking that God can bless and work in your life no matter what you're going through. And that comes to us from the book of Matthew, chapter 23. And so if you would just stand out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word, if you're able, I want to read two verses that Jesus teaches in Matthew, chapter 23. Starting in verse 11, the Bible says, But he who is greatest among you all shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
And so the quality that we need to see is humility. So if you would pray with me this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I, I just come today, Lord, totally inadequate, totally unable to do what you have called me to do, Lord, unless you do it. And so, Father, I pray for forgiveness for my own life and in my own heart. Lord, for any sin or fears or doubts, Lord, that I have. Lord, I pray for this congregation. Lord, thank you for gathering them here together. And Lord, whatever their need is, whatever their struggle is, Lord, that you would speak to them and do what only you can do. And so, Lord, we want to thank you again for the privilege to worship you and to know you and to love you. And so, Lord, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, like I said, if you've been following with us, you know that there's a lot going on here. King David had, had so much grief that it hindered him from doing what he was uh, supposed to do. And Joab comes to him and said, things are going to be worse if you don't just move forward. You can't move on and forget, but you have to recognize that you have a purpose and a plan in your life, that God has blessings in your life. And you have to remember that if you are so focused on the loss that you will forget what is left. If you will forget so much, focus so much on the hole that is in your life, you're not focusing on Him. And so if you're taking notes this morning, and I really do pray that you will this morning, is this, a believer trusts that God has a plan. You have to believe that God has a plan. And I want to say all this this morning because there's only two groups of people. You either are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, or you are not. You are either saved or lost. A child of God or not. A part of the family of God or not. And so when we talk about this today, this is a sermon that is really focused on God's people being God's people. We make excuses for all kinds of things in our life as Christians. This uh, last week, I went to a ball game at Johnson City. And uh, it was a long day at work. It was a long ride down there with a car full of kids and uh, wasn't in the best mood, all right? I paid to get in and uh, uh, $3 sodas make me mad, so I wanted a soda, but I wouldn't buy one kind of deal and uh, went into a gym. And I always hate gymnasiums where you all sit on one side because I'm always afraid I'm going to sit by somebody whose kid's on the other team and I'm going to say something like, that was terrible. And uh, some big old mean bird that's going to look at me and be like, well, that's my kid. And I'm like, well, I don't care. But uh, so it always stresses me out. And, and I go up there and I sit down at this gym and I look. And I always, first thing I do in every gym is look for the flag. I believe you ought to have a big flag. I believe you ought to be proud that you live in the greatest country in the world. And there was a little bitty flag. I mean, this little bitty flag, little bitty flag above the door. And I, talking to myself, which is what I do when I get frustrated. If you're around, I'm not talking to you but you're just privileged to hear it. And so I'm sitting there going, what kind of bunch of heathens? What, what kind of bunch of uncountry-loving heathens has got this little bitty sign above this little bitty door? I can't believe it. And so I was just talking to myself. What's wrong with this country? You know, all those things. And I was grouchy, I was cranky. And so I spent all the first game, all the second game, sitting there talking to myself. But I just am so sick of that. I cannot believe that's the best they could do. This big fancy gym at Johnson City, and this nice floor, and this nice school. Look at that little bitty stinking flag. Golly, I just can't believe it. Missed the whole game. My own kid played. All I was worried about was the flag, all right? Games get ready to start, the eighth grade game, and I'm like, I just can't believe this. They probably won't even do the national anthem. What kind of heathens are these down here? And about that time, this great big flag starts to come down from the ceiling. And I went, oh, 
And the person next to me says, did you see it? I was like, yeah, 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 that's all. That's all. And in that moment, as usually happens to me, I realized something. Jake, you were so focused on what is going on in your life. You're so focused on the difficulties of life that you didn't enjoy anything. Literally, I went to watch my own kid and all I could worry about was that flag not being enough. And I say that this morning because so many times that's kind of comical and you know, you can, you're all thinking, yeah, that's definitely you. But I ask this question because some of us are going to wake up one day and our kids are going to be graduating college and we're going to be like, we missed it. I was so grouchy and stressed out and miserable about everything that was going on that I missed it. Some of us are going to stand beside the bedside of a dying loved one and think, I have so many regrets because I let the circumstances define my relationship. Some of you are going to retire from a job that you hate and the only thing you can think about is, I just can't wait to be out of there because of the people I've had to put up with. And this morning I want to say all of this because your relationship with the Lord and the joy and the peace and the purpose that you have in your life is not dependent upon the people around you or the circumstances that you're in, but if that's where your focus is, just like my focus was all on that little flag, I should have known that right there in the rafters was this great big thing that said, paid for by some insurance person. I mean, I've been in thousands of gyms and thousands of games, and I should have known. But I was grouchy. I was tired. And the day's activities had affected my way of thinking. And I can tell you, for two games, I wasn't real pleasant to sit by. More so than usual. And it was all because of what? My eyes and my focus was on something that didn't matter. And when we look at this text this morning, we have to understand that believers trust that God has a plan. And so when we go to verse 9 here, we're looking at what happens next. And so it says, Now all the people were in dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. But Absalom, who we anointed over us, has died in battle. Now therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So King David sent to Zadok and Abathar the priest, saying, Speak to the elders of Judah, saying, Why are you the last to bring the king back to his house, since the words of all Israel have come to the king to his very house? You are my brethren, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? And say to Amasa, Are you not my bone and flesh? God do so to me, and more also, if you are not commander of the army before me, continually in place of Joab. So he swayed the heart of all the nation and men of Judah, just as the heart of one man, so that they sent this word to the king, Return you on all your servants." Then the king returned and came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go and meet the king and escort the king across the Jordan. And Shimei, the son of Gerah, a Benjamite who was from Behirim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David. 
There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him, and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his fifteen sons and his twenty servants with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. What we see here is even though King David's army had won the battle, he was still in the wilderness. He hadn't been brought back to Jerusalem to rule and to reign. And so just imagine if you had been part of a rebellion, the people had not wanted you, and now you are making a decision what comes next. And King David begins to hear that the people are fighting amongst themselves. What should we do? Do we want to welcome back the king that we just drove out of town? Do we want to bring back the king even though he has fought for us and defended us and been successful and been good to us? What do we do? And in this passage of Scripture, it's very interesting because David begins to hear about it. And David goes to the people that are supposed to be closest to him, his tribe, and say, why didn't you think of this? Why aren't you wanting me to return? Why aren't you wanting me to take the place that God put me at? And this is very important because what we see here is the people who were most loyal, who should have been on his team, who should have been fighting for him, are not. And so even though David had been victorious, David had experienced loss, that things didn't just all go back to the way they were. And if you have your Bible that I hope that you will bring to church with you, you can flip over the page in chapter 20 and see there's going to be another rebellion. Because why? What we see here is a family that is torn apart. We see a kingdom that is torn apart. And what we see is the fact that even though the battle had happened, the wounds had not healed. And some of you are probably thinking that, well, we just made it through Christmas, we just made it through Thanksgiving, we have just made it through that two times a year when our family has to get together and we're all still alive. Or maybe some of you are leaving your family gathered and saying, I'm never speaking to them again. Maybe you're looking at what's going on in your life saying, man, things are so broken, things are so messed up. What we see here, though, is that King David is still in a difficult situation. We see here, though, that he tells this man by the name of Amasa, you are going to be the new commander of my army. You are going to help bring this country together, to bring these people together. If you remember, he was the general of the enemy army. But David says, we are in a place now where we need peace. We need reconciliation. We need forgiveness. We need to build together and not tear apart. What you're going to know though is this was not a great idea because Joab got so angry and so bitter and so jealous that he murders this man in just a short period of time. But what we see here is that David is trusting that God has a plan for his life. David has no idea how this is going to work out. The people don't have no idea how this is going to work out. But David begins the journey back to Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us in the book of Psalm, chapter 40, verse 4, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, and does not respect the proud, nor such as turns aside to lies. And this morning, I have no idea where you're at in your walk with the Lord. Maybe you're here today, and it's the first time you've ever been church. It's the first time you're ever hearing about that God has a purpose and plan for your life. Maybe you're here, and Satan has convinced you that God cannot use someone like you. Maybe you're here today and you've been in church so long that you think God can't work unless you're involved. 
Maybe you're here and your family is in perfect shape or it's broken. Maybe you're here today and your marriage is struggling or it's never been better. But wherever you're at, what we see from this passage of Scripture is that David had been on that roller coaster. He had been as high as you could be. He has been as low as you could be. He's been as celebrated as you can be. He's been as rejected as you can be. But he believes this one simple thing, that God was not done with him. That God had a purpose and plan for his life. And if you are here this morning, and you are on this side of the road, and not that side of the road, if you are above ground and not in the ground, God still has a purpose and plan for you. You might come to church wounded today. You might come to church broken today. You might come in here dragging yourself, not sure what is going to happen. But I want you to see from this text that God is not done. And some of you need to believe that God has a purpose for you. The second thing I want to show you from this passage of Scripture is the people that begin to show up. And the thing that I want to show you is that a believer shows mercy to those who ask for it. A believer shows mercy to those who ask for it. Starting in verse 18b. Now Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. Then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. For I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet with my lord the king. If you have that Bible that I always encourage you to bring, if you flip back to chapter 16, you will see that when David was leaving, there was a man by the name of Shimei, the same man who followed along with David and threw stones at him. And he cursed him. And he humiliated King David. He said things like, Come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man. The Lord has brought upon you all the blood of the house of Saul. And so as David was leaving, at his lowest point, this man is mocking him, humiliating him, and not in private, in front of all the people who were with David. And so now David comes back victorious and this man is there to wait him when he gets off the boat. First one he sees, he's like, I'm here and I need to make this right. Well, it's interesting because what happens in this situation is the one of two responses that all of us go through. The next thing we see in this passage of Scripture, it says, But Abishai, the son of Zariah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this? Because he cursed the Lord's anointing. He says, I was there when this happened. I was there when he publicly humiliated you. I was there when he slandered you. I was there when he mocked you. And if you flip back in chapter 16, we see that Abishai, in verse 9, the son of Zariah, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Please let me go over and take off his head. And so through all this running, all this fleeing, Abishai is thinking, if I ever get a chance to see that guy again, I'm taking his head off. All this time, he's gotten more bitter and more angry of what has happened, and they show up victoriously. They show up because they've won, and here this guy is groveling, asking for forgiveness. 
And Abishai says, oh no, there will be no mercy for you today. Judgment is coming. But listen to what King David says. And I'm so thankful that King David is a picture of who Jesus is for us. And David said, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zariah, that you should be adversaries of me today? Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. David showed him mercy. Now we know that when Solomon takes over, uh, things change, alright? There is some punishment that is divvied out to the people who had wronged David. Joab is put to death and, and all of these things. But David says that if you want mercy, you can have mercy. If you want a fresh start, if you want a second chance, today you can have it. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I want to stop here for just a moment because I want to do one of the most uncomfortable topics that we can talk about, and that is to ask forgiveness when we have wronged someone. None of us care about hearing sermons about when we've been wronged. We all like that because someone's going to have to ask for forgiveness. And let's be honest, most of us want to be right. We don't care about being right with other people. As long as you'll admit to me that you were wrong, everything's good. That's what I want to hear. But what we see in this passage of Scripture is what it really looks like when you and I care about being right with God. And I want you to write these down. The first thing we see is this. When you and I have sinned against God or sinned against another person is that we must go to the person we have wronged. You see, Shimei has to understand something. They've already wanted to cut my head off before. And there's a pretty good chance now that they are in power. There's probably going to be some retribution. But I know what I did was wrong. And I am going to go to the king who has all the authority, all the power, all the army and say, here I am. I've sinned. You see, what we see is the first idea of reconciliation is you cannot get right with someone if you go to someone else. You can't restore a relationship by running to someone other than them. We see the second thing about getting right in our relationship with other and in God is, is that I have sinned. He owned the mistake. I have pastored long enough now. I have just finished my 11th year here, right here in this place. No other place. And what I can tell you is I have heard a lot of apologies. I've heard a lot of excuses. I've had to make of a lot of them. And this is what it usually happens like this. Ready? I am sorry, but if you only knew what I was going through, or if you only knew what they had done to me, or if you only knew what they said about me, and I'm sorry, Pastor, but you, but you, I want you to hear this. Anything that you say before but does not matter. Just start with it and say, I'm a but and I want to tell you how I really feel. That's how you ought to start it. But what we see is not that. He says, I've sinned. I was wrong. I did this. That's why we believe the Bible tells us that we must admit that we are sinners. We have to admit to God, Lord, I have sinned against you. 
I have sinned against another person. And I believe, God, that You can forgive me. I believe that You died on a cross for me to cover my sin and my shame and regret. You see, the problem is most of us don't forgive people. So we really don't believe anyone can forgive us. Most of us love to go tell other people that someone has asked us to forgive them. Oh. Rather than just forgiving. And what happens is, I would rather not ask you for forgiveness because I know that you're going to go tell everybody that I asked you to forgive me. And I'd rather be wrong with you than wrong with everybody else. Now I know this is not hitting close to home for any of you, and that's alright. I'll preach on lying at some point. Alright? But what we see here is genuine getting right with God and getting right with other people. This is what I believe. I believe that churches are closing and dying and ceasing to exist all over our area and all over this country for this very same thing. No one forgives anybody. No one goes to each other and says, hey, you know what, I don't think we can agree. I don't think we can can make this work, but I just want you to know that I'm sorry. I'm willing to make it work, but I just don't think we can right now. What happens is we have churches full of people that got mad here, got mad at them, got mad about this, and instead of dealing with it, we just move around. It's what's going on in marriages in America today. We don't want to work on our issues. We don't want to reconcile. We don't want to deal with them. We just want to upgrade to a newer model. That's why if you buy a lemon from a car dealership, at some point you say it's not worth it, is it? I'm just going to get rid of this car. I'm going to find one that works like it should. That's how we treat relationships. That's how we treat church. That's how we treat the people we work with. But what I want you to see this morning is God showed David mercy so that David could show mercy to others. God had forgiven David for Bathsheba and Uriah. God had forgiven David for all of the things in his life. Why? So that David could show mercy to others. That's why the Bible tells us that forgiveness is so important. Because when God forgives us, we are then supposed to forgive others. Because the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of God was not just meant for you. I'm thankful that salvation changed my life. I'm thankful that when forgiveness happened, I became forgiven. But that's not where God intended for it to stay. It's kind of like marriage. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm, I'm thankful for being married all these years. Some days I think I don't, we, we're not going to make it because I'm just a stubborn, difficult person to get along with. But I'm so thankful that our marriage isn't just about us anymore. God has blessed us with children. And so at some point, which most of you that are grandparents tell me, there will come even a better day. Right when that blessing of marriage, which the blessing of then children becomes the real blessing of life, which is grandchildren. And so what God blesses us in marriage is just the beginning many times of the blessings to come. And your forgiveness that God gave you was not just meant for you to take it and to hold it and to hide it, but it was to live out a picture of that forgiveness with the people that you work with, the people that you live with, the people that you go to school with, the people that you, that you live your life with, that they should forget, see that God has shown you mercy. 
you should show mercy to others. Third and final thing from this passage of Scripture I hope to show you today is a believer makes decisions with wisdom. So you have to trust that God has a plan for you. You've got to be willing to show mercy, but you also have to understand that God expects you to live making wise decisions. And so starting here in verse 24, the Bible says these words. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So it was when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And he answered, My lord, O king, my servant, deceive me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he slandered your servant to my lord the king, but my lord the king is like the angel of God. Therefore do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before the lord the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. Therefore what right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So the king said to him, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, You and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord as the king has come back in peace to his own house. If you remember, Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son, someone that David loved more than a brother. Mephibosheth was crippled as a child and could not work and could not take care of himself, but yet David had brought him into his family and treated him like one of his own sons and given him land and, and people to take care of it. And when the rebellion started... Uh, a man by the name of Ziba, who was his servant, tricked him and went to King David and said, here are these blessings of good things I have for you, and Mephibosheth has betrayed you. And so David took the blessings and left town thinking that this man he had loved and cared for and shown mercy to had betrayed him. And what happens is David comes back to town and here's Mephibosheth. Now I want you to notice now that he is in Jerusalem. So they, some met him when they got off the boat. He's traveled from there to the capital. And now comes Mephibosheth. He's not been washing his clothes. He's not shaved. He's not been taking care of himself. He's been in a state of mourning. A state of fasting and praying for King David. And he says, you need to know that you were lied to. I never would have betrayed you. And most of us read this story and think, well, King David's going to make everything right. King David is going to get on to this guy for lying. He's going to make sure that Mephibosheth has what he needs. But David doesn't do that. David says, you know what, you guys can just split it. Now, I don't know, I spent a lot of time reading this because it just blows my mind. How hard would it have been just to go send someone and say, hey, what really happened when that happened? Okay, he's a liar. We can take care of this. But he didn't. And what I've gathered from this, and this is my personal opinion, you can take it for what it is worth, that you do not have to participate in every fight that you're invited to. And there are times in this life when you think you ought to give your opinion, and you probably shouldn't. And what we see from this passage of Scripture is whether David just did not have the time to deal with it, or David did not know who to believe, or David did not want to choose sides because of this personal squabble, 
We do not know, but what David says is you'll just have to split it. And I think this is so important in our life because when the Bible says something, we should speak it without apology. When the Bible teaches something, we should live it unapologetically. But we must be very careful when we speak for God or make decisions based on what we have heard or what we think we know. How many relations have been, relationships have been ruined because someone told me something, which then that is why I decided to do what I do. What David says is, I don't know why he did what he did, but he was a blessing to me. I don't know why you did what you did, but you've been a blessing to me. And so what I'm going to do is, the best thing I can do and say, you both can have some of it. Now we've seen this in the Bible before. If you remember, if, you, if you've ever read ahead, when King Solomon is king, that there are two women, two mothers who have children at the same time pretty much, and they're living in the same home, and one mother's child dies. And the other mother's child lives. And what happens is the one whose child died took that baby and switched them. Well, now you and I know that the mothers would have known who was who. But these were the days before Facebook and Instagram and, and photograph places who took 18 billion pictures of babies and put them everywhere. All right, Literally, you can tell someone's kid if you've never met them because you've seen thousands of pictures of them and they're so wonderful and so special. Yes, but that would have not been the case. And so these two women come to King Solomon and said, she's, her baby died. No, it was her baby and she switched them. If you remember what King Solomon said, King Solomon said, bring me the child that's alive and I'll cut that child in half. And you can each have a half of it. And the real mother did what? No, he can have it. She can have it. Do not take the life of this child. And King Solomon says, boom, that's the mom. She's the one. And so he made the decision to give the child to its mother. But what we see here is King David doesn't know. King David is not God. King David is not all-knowing. And so King David says, it's better to bless both of you than to wade into this. And what we see is wisdom. And what I want to encourage you is this as a believer. What we see here from David is a principle that most of us should learn you don't know everything, and neither do I. You don't know the hearts of why people do what they do. You can ask any school teacher, and you and I have been around long enough to know that there are some kids in the morning when they get up, mom and dad's both there, they fix them a good breakfast, they tell them they love them, they, they get their clothes, they take them to school. It's the, the, what a morning should look like, right? That a kid is fed and loved and taken to school. But yet you also can say that there are some who have got themselves up because mom and dad haven't been home for days. There's no food in the cabinets. There's no clean clothes. The kid's wearing the same outfit he wore yesterday. He gets on the bus. He barely gets to school. He's, he's, he's miserable. He's unhappy. He doesn't behave. And what you see is that home affected him. Now what we are so thankful for is that how you're raised doesn't have to define you. The past that you have doesn't have to define you. That you and I, the blessing and, and goodness of God, can overcome circumstances. But what we see is a simple fact that, that hungry kids are not well-behaved kids. It's literally a whole Snickers commercial, right? If you're hungry, you're grouchy. 
And what we see in this passage of Scripture is that David doesn't know, and so David doesn't make a decision one way or the other. Some of you read this and say, well, David should have known better. He should have just pulled the trigger. What I want you to know is that David extended mercy to both of these men because neither of them was perfect. And in your life, as you live, as you raise your children, as you work, if you go to school, remember this simple thing. You don't know everything. And what would benefit most of us if we don't know what we're talking about, we ought to probably just pray. We ought to probably spend time praying for people rather than always having to be the one that shares our opinions. The Bible says this about wisdom in Proverbs chapter 3. Happy is the man who finds wisdom. And the man who gains understanding, for her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare to her. Length of days is in her right hand, in her left hand riches and honor. Her, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all of her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. When I started studying for this sermon about a month ago, I read that and I thought, that don't sound right. That, that doesn't sound... And all of her paths are peace. I don't know about you, but I've done the right things a few times, and it wasn't very peaceful. I've preached some sermons that were right based on the Word of God, but weren't very peaceful for some of the people that heard them. I've been married long enough and a parent long enough to know that sometimes when you try to take a stand and do what's right, it's not always peaceful at home. It's not always peaceful where you work. And so when I read this, it says, and all her paths are peace. And I've never questioned the Bible being right, but it's definitely one of those verses that I just couldn't understand. I'm like, that just doesn't make any sense. And it was kind of like the Lord had to speak to me like the person that had to speak to me at that ball game the other night. Because when that flag started coming down, I wasn't going to acknowledge it. But that person looked at me and said, hey, I think we found their good flag. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. What? And the Lord reminded me that no matter what you are going through, the key is to focus on Him. He is the giver of peace. There are always going to be people that will betray you. There's always going to be people that will lie about you. There's always going to be the struggle of sin and division and difficulties, no matter how long you live. But there is one who can give you peace through it all. And that is knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior, knowing that He has a plan for your life, knowing that He wants to show you mercy and forgiveness and grace if you'll trust Him through it all. And then because of that, live in that wisdom that He gives us. And friends, that means today if you come here broken, hurting, if you come here blessed with no stress, if you here come here grieving the loss of a loved one or celebrating the birth of new life, that all of it can be used for God's glory if you let Him. But it starts with trusting Him as the Lord and Savior of your life and then doing this, God, wherever you send me, I'm going to live for you. I'm not going to just live for you in the good times. I'm going to live for you in all the times. That is the number one thing I see about Christians today is we all want to serve God until it intervenes 
with what I want. Or it interferes with what I want. Well, I would love to, to be involved at church, but I would love to forgive that person and share the gospel that I work with, but I'd love to use my talents for the Lord, but I'd love to have a better marriage and honor God with my marriage, but I'd love to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but. And what we see from David's life is whether it was the valley or the mountain, the palace or the or the, the wilderness, he said this simple thing, I'm going to trust God in all of it. And we see that God took care of him. And that is my challenge for you this morning, to trust Him wherever He has you. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, I pray that You would work and move in the hearts of Your people. Lord, You know what they're going through. You know the ones that need to be saved. Lord, You know the ones that need to to repair relationships. You know the ones that need a touch today, Lord. And I just pray that Your Holy Spirit would be at work in this place. God, that You would be doing things that only You can get the credit for. And Lord, I just pray that You would continue to turn this into a place that loves You and is used by You for Your glory. And so, Lord, again, I thank You and I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.